what is going on guys welcome back to another episode of running and gunning podcast with your hosts justin Sinan and logan sanburn we are pumped for tonight uh we've got a great guest on this evening we're going to get into a little bit of arrows and a little bit of uh turkey hunting and some good tactics from our good buddy jordan pope down in alabama um jordan's a great guy he's also on the lone wolf staff um you have to catch us uh i was just uh catching up with him recently i think we're going to do the mobile hunters roadshow in nashville so you guys can catch us there but uh without further ado what's going on jordan how you doing man what's up man i'm good how are you guys doing great doing great what's going on logan oh uh i was just getting all my trail cams uh cleaned up and doing all the stuff i probably should have done a couple months ago but <laughs> uh get, getting the batteries out of them getting sd cards cleared and getting them cleaned up and that that sort of stuff i plan to get them out a lot earlier this year um and you know letting them soak and trying to at least get uh, a lot more intel than i had last year so just trying to be prepared you know <laughs> absolutely absolutely man season never stops nope it doesn't, man. It just seems to uh, the summer seemed to get shorter here recently, the past couple of years. But, but Jordan, why don't you uh, why don't you introduce yourself for uh, people that don't know you, man? Like what you're about. I know uh, it's kind of funny. Like we we touched on it earlier. I had no idea that you were the the man behind Errors Anonymous. So, why don't you get into how you got the name, what you what you uh, offer? Because you make some pretty slick arrows, dude. Yeah. So. It's funny how all that unfolded. So I went down the hole like a lot of people do. And uh, I actually, you know, I was building my own arrows. And and I think I'd build a couple of buddies a set. And then it just kind of expanded. I think a set of my arrows ended up on a forum somewhere. And then I had, like, random people, like, from all over the country messaging me, wanting me to build. And so at some point I was like, yo, I got to come up with a name for this thing. And my wife was like, but like you're like addicted to archery, so like Arrows Anonymous, like Alcoholics Anonymous, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, dude, that works, you know. So that's how that came about, and you know, I branched out to a bow press, and I actually know some really good guys from around the country that kind of walked me through and taught me, and it blossomed into what it is today. That's awesome, man. For any of you guys out there uh, that that are needing some new arrows for this year, holler at Jordan. Um, I, I've seen some of the the stuff that you've produced, man. You're you're top notch. What's uh What's like your go to setup, man? I mean, for you as a whitetail hunter, um, what's your you know? Give us your rundown. What's your total arrow weight? You know, what are you drawing? So, I'm gonna get into a little bit of detail here, and uh, all right, this it's funny because. Uh, one of the one of the guys I know is actually he owns an independent tester. That's one of the guys that that taught me. He's done work for Grizz Stick. He's been to Ed Ashby's house. I mean, this dude's the the real deal. His name's Eric Newman. Uh, so what a lot of people don't realize is that speed is a very very efficient energy creator in, in a bow. Uh, but there's also a kind of a peak that your bow is able to handle. So, you know, a lot of people's average hunting setups that are, you know, 400 to 450, that's perfect. I mean, yeah. once you start going above that, you start kind of equalizing how much speed you're losing to how much mass you're gaining. Your kinetic energy doesn't doesn't go any higher, and your bow's just doing what it can. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at. I like that, like 420 range. And uh, it's funny, man, I've... I've built a lot of arrows for a lot of people, and, you know, one of my guys in Canada, he's tanked, what, two different elk, a moose, a all-time boom black bear, uh, all with around that weight, so. No kidding. Yeah. Sweet. Now, is he getting, are you getting consistent pass-throughs, and, and what, what broadheads are you running? So, this year I ran uh, the, the, the Lone Wolf Custom Gearhead. Uh, but yeah, uh, I have data from the last five years of myself and my customers. One of my guys shot like a 260 pound, five or six year old Illinois deer straight through the scapula. 
it was six inches in the dirt on the other side of the deer and that was a 450 grain arrow with a g5 montec uh nice i shot a 200 pound hog with a two inch sever this year on public land 200 pounds full pass through at like 430 grains hell that's yeah a big, that's a big pig and so, <laughs> so a little expansion into that i think that the biggest loss for penetration and immediately everybody kind of jumps to arrow weight but what it actually is is, is the bow's tune if the arrow's fish tailing as it comes out of the bow you're already on the on the the downward end of penetration if you can yep. if, if fix your bow 99 percent of your problems are going to go away yeah and you, you know what's interesting you really don't hear many people talk about that like too many people are obsessed with what arrow setup they're running and what broadhead they're running and they never paper tune or anything like that so uh joel maxfield who is i'm pretty sure the head engineer at matthews uh, it's really funny the dude is a living legend he's he's killed like some kind of crazy slam of like how many species whatever the dude is a, a, a phenomenal bow technician his wife has killed like 20 plus bull elk at 24 inch draw and 40 pounds with rage broadheads never lost one right and she's shooting like 300 grains yeah yeah that's, <laughs> that's crazy. wild i mean i'm shooting five yeah i'm shooting 500 grains that's my setup because i thought that was kind of like the in-between but i don't know now you kind of got me reevaluating. but here's the other big piece of this and this is what i want everybody to understand confidence is king in archery so if if five grains is what you like if if that's the system you feel confident in if it works for you don't change it yeah that that's pretty much how i feel i mean i get consistent pass throughs and i don't know i take most of my deer sub like 20 yards or less for the most part right. i don't i can't remember the last time i took a 30 yard shot on a deer right <clears throat> There's too many variables in archery. You know, that's it's all it's the game of how close how far. Right. I just I'm running uh five fifty is where I'm at. And without pulling weight out of the front, I don't know how much lower I can go. I'm running a one twenty five broadhead, a fifty grain insert, and um just uh, East and Axis 250s or 260s, whatever they are. And so I yeah. feel like I, I want to get lower because I want to get faster, but I don't feel like without going to a, a higher spine, which is equals lower GPI, I don't feel like I can go much lower just with my draw link or my arrow length. My arrow length is like 29, I think, is what I usually run. What are your suggestions yeah. on something like that? There's there are options. Uh, so, like your Black Eagle Rampages, like with like a fifty. I think they're one of the lower GPI uh, shafts. A lot of people like them because of uh, the FOC. So, like you'll see a lot of people look at the Rip TKO for the same reason. Uh, both phenomenal shafts. But that Rampage comes stock with a fifty-two grain stainless half out. I built a lot of that arrow because uh, it's just bulkier up front. Uh, it's a little bit stronger, throws the fulcrum point of the arrow a little bit deeper, so they're not as likely to break on the front end on impact. And uh, you get a little bit of that lower GPI, but you can still gain some speed back because roundabout if you were in like a higher GPI shaft, but a lower, a lower insert weight would be the same as a lower GPI and a higher insert weight. So uh it's just a better arrow build i think for what you're getting around you know total package uh and i think i put some 29s together with wraps that were around like 440 450 okay, okay. that ain't bad yeah that's one thing you didn't really touch on man is uh how how sexy you're making your arrows with these wraps are you doing that or what so no, one stringer makes all of my wraps. Uh, okay. And and because you do custom arrow wraps too, don't you? Yes. So uh, yeah, the guys over at One Stringer, I pretty much, you know, if somebody comes with me something super custom, like a logo or something, 
I send it all to them and we may have to go through two or three revisions till, you know, it's hard to explain via email, like exactly what we want. So we, we may have to tweak that two or three times, but they're much better on the computer than I am. So, and I love giving them business. They're great, great people. So I do not plan, even if it made me more money to, to break away from that because I love supporting them. That's awesome, man. Solid, solid. I like that. I was going to ask you uh, along those lines. You, I saw that you do a lot with spine alignment and going back to tuning the bow and that sort of stuff. Um, how are you? I guess what's the process for that, and how important is spine alignment? Okay, so this is where you will hear some differences in me and the rest of the archery world, and I, I'll, I'll kind of go through how I came to the conclusion. Uh, so when I dove deep into this, I used to do what a lot of people consider as a super tune. So you start on paper, you go to bare shafts, then you go to broadheads. Well, the better I got at reading paper, what I realized was that if form is correct, and a lot of people, it's a misconception that there is such a micro uh, difference between human to human grip that the bow would actually have to be tuned different per person. The bow is a machine, and nobody's grip pressure is so majorly different if they're holding the bow properly that a tuned bow changes to an untuned bow from one person to the other. So uh, that's one of the reasons I'm able to do what I do. People drop their bows off to me. I get them tuned, and then I walk through form. So I, I basically get do archery coaching for free. And the, one of the reasons I do that is – uh, for the animal, uh, for my customers also, but you know, you can take a bow to anybody and they're like, yeah, man, it's tuned. You're good to go. And then they run into issues. A perfect example of this was I tuned the guy's bow. He went home, he shot broadheads. He said, yo, my broadheads are hitting three inches low. This was a couple of years ago. I said, all right, dude, just run back over. We went in the backyard. I adjusted his grip and his form and boom, broadheads and field points were hitting dead nuts. And he was just like, oh man. You know, and what a lot of yeah. is, is, uh, you know, ha the placement of the bow in the palm and, you know, it's causing a little bit of torque or somebody's holding the grip a little bit too low and not in the throat. And, and what people don't realize is bows are very much so geometrically designed. And a good example of this is prime. Prime has a center grip. Well, what this does is it changes the knock travel compared to a, uh, a center shot bow with a lower grip. So what they did to compensate for that is their cam is actually smaller because when that grip is centered, uh, that top cam bends a little faster, the higher your grip is, if I'm thinking about that correctly. So what they did was they offset it with a smaller lower cam to catch up to that, that top cam. And that's how okay. heavily the geometry of a bow, it, it really matters. And, uh, so grip and form, everything plays into it. But my tuning process nowadays, I do everything on paper. And yeah. what flipped that switch for me was I was tuning one of my own bows. I w took everything through, through paper, and I was like, you know, I really, I, I think this thing's dead on. And uh, I'm going to, I'm just going to take it straight to 80 yards with, I took a, a bear shaft, a field point fletch, and a broadhead fletch shot all of them at 80 yards straight out of this bow after I tuned it. And it was like a two and a half inch group. Everything comes yeah. into the target straight the same. Now where you see issues with that is, uh, it's hard for somebody to paper tune a bow if they don't know how to work on a bow. And what I mean by this is, okay, you're paper tuning a bow, you get a big left hair, you're moving your rest, it's getting a little better, but you start running into clearance issues. The average person doesn't understand that a bow needs to be shimmed. Right. All right. That is also my issue. Like if somebody somebody tells you to go broad hit a bear shaft tune, okay, at what point do you realize the bow needs shim? Right. If your form is incorrect, at what point do you know that the bow needs Yeah, shim? you really don't. So that's where you just, now you've got a draw board and that's how you're tuning all your bows and then you're just adjusting your customers. Yeah, so essentially uh, I've, I've gotten to the point where I can – 
I can look at paper, tell what the bow's doing, tell what it, where it needs shimmed. Uh, I've got my form and my grip pretty comparable to anybody else's that would be bringing me a bow. And uh, I've literally in the last two years, after I've just paper tuned a bow, I've not had one person's bow not shoot a broadhead with a field point. Okay. Yeah. And you know, it's kind of interesting that you're getting into this because I've had friends. So one of my, one of my favorite broadheads I've had in my years of bow hunting is the QAD Exodus. Right. And I would notice that sometimes some of them heads, like I could pinwheel an arrow and then I'd shoot another one and it would fly left or fly right, whatever. Right. And I come to find out and then I'd have other friends and they would have the same experience. And I was like, it's you, it's not the broadhead. All right. So like, so getting even to a deeper dive. So one thing that I've noticed over the years with broadheads is once you breach that inch and one eighth diameter, what happens is that broadhead will actually start causing more lift. A QAD Exodus is a great example of that. So okay. Think about an arrow when people are shooting like the big executor turkey broadheads. They often shoot a large, large feather. The reason is the broadhead creates lift. Well, the fletchings create drag as well as FOC creates drag. So when you have a broadhead that is like an inch and three sixteenths or more, and you're starting to see some of that float, you know, like the one inch differences or whatever, it's Mm -hmm. maybe more drag. Okay. So you may need to go to a larger fledging with more helical. You know, the, the broadhead's just kind of, the bow's tuned and it's trying to stay straight. It's just a little too much for the fledgings you're shooting. I got you. Yeah, I never really thought about that. We all shoot blazers, so. Right. <laughs> I, I don't, right? but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and we've had this conversation because um, you were telling me, is it, uh, what are the ones that you use? the fletchings is it q2i okay um so i know we had a conversation about the difference between the three fletch and the four fletch and whether or not that would be would steer you know a certain broadhead better or whatever um can you explain i guess that further as far as when you should go from a three to a four and what that actually does okay so uh, essentially, if your broadheads are already flying right, if your arrows are already flying correctly, and you swapped from a three to a four, you would see no difference. You would actually see at that maybe 60, 70, 80 yard ranges that your arrow is dropping a little quicker because there's now more drag on the arrow. Where you would start to see gain is if you were in like a QAD Exodus or like a big samurai or something like that, like a very large head, iron wheel wide is a perfect example. You know, when you're starting to get some of that float around 30 and 40 yards, when you swap to a four with a heavy helical, you would notice that would tame a lot. Okay. That's solid, man. We're yeah. Like, I honestly didn't even plan on this podcast going this way with a, with a technical. <laughs> I'm, I'm over here just taking notes. I'm, you're blowing my mind. I, the, I mean... Uh, the other great situation for it is, let's say, so a lot of the newer Matthews from shops, uh, Matthews has a plus or a minus one sixteenth in their center shot. So you can actually set them at three quarters, and a lot of shops are because of the shim configuration. Well, what it does is it's, it's putting your fletchings really close to the cable. So in that situation, you can go to a low-profile four, not worry about the clearance, and still get the same fly. Okay. That's interesting. Um, Do you, or I guess, have you done any testing or research on the way that arrows rotate out of the bow? Yeah. So like, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say like, uh, as far as putting a helical on an arrow for different people, I guess. I'm right clocking due to twist. Yeah. Okay. So, in short, I'm going to give the long explanation out, <laughs> but in short, it is 100% irrelevant. And the way that I explain this is, so your bow is not throwing a curveball. It is driving an arrow in a straight line. Uh, naturally, the twist of the string will want to cant the arrow one way or the other as it comes off. 
but this is not an induced force so much as it is just a natural force that is that is happening due to the way the arrow is kind of leaning as it's being shot. So okay. You, so you could have a left clocking bow when you put a right helical on that bow on that arrow. That amount of force compared to what the trying to do would be compared to ocean to a raindrop, in short. Okay. And there's no curveball effect. Like you'll see a lot of videos where guys, and what a lot of that boils down to is the thing. Now, I did Dustin DeTio's arrows, and it was the only time I've ever ran into this situation. So, when he faced his broadhead, it was a two blade, perfectly vertical, his broadheads and field points would hit together. When they were sideways, he would hit about two inches right, and it took me a little while. I had to think about it. I knew the bow wasn't tuned, but I had to really think about it. And what was happening was, with the arrow being vertical, by the time it hit the target at 20 yards, it never made enough rotation to cause enough lift to start to deviate. That's why when it started horizontal, it was immediately causing lift. Once he moved his target out to 30, even vertical, it started to it started to swing, you know, to the right. That's a great example of of, you know, I was like, man, you know, because what he was getting at was, you know, if I line these broadheads up with these fletchings, and it, what a lot of that is is guys not understanding aerodynamics and the way the air actually flows over the arrow. A lot of people think your broadhead's creating a gap to the fletchings and it's creating an air channel. As soon as a broadhead passes through the air, the air is back riding the shaft. It's two completely different openings. They're their own openings. But same thing with clocking. Uh, a lot of that is guys that are, they have an issue, so they run through a list of problems and solutions, and these solutions seemingly make everything better. But what it is, is it's just a band-aid for the real problem, and they just don't have the uh, the proper person to reach out to to figure out what the real problem is and get the solution. And you're that well, guy. I now have my, <laughs> I I have my guy. <laughs> no, oh, that's man. awesome. I appreciate that explanation. It makes a lot of sense. Right. Yeah, I, I mean... I thought I knew a little bit about that kind of stuff. I got really lucky at a younger age and um, I kind of got tired of, of messing up on good bucks and I got into indoor archery and I met some great people and uh, they kind of helped, you know, teach me the right way to shoot a bow and how I should be shooting and everything changed like the year after that. Like I started knocking down good bucks and um, it was really interesting, man. When you when you get to meet somebody that's that really knows their stuff, you know, talking aerodynamics and different stuff, especially for doing like tournament archery, like outdoor, like three D and stuff like that. Um, it it's really it's it's really cool because you don't really, you know, as somebody maybe if your parents aren't into that kind of stuff, you you have no idea. You know, you're just a a bow hunter that goes out and bust bust the bow out in the summertime and takes it out for you know a month or two and then hang it up for another year but um there's a lot to it man and the more you the more you get into archery it's just it's awesome it's Look, i try to explain this to guys too it doesn't matter how ocd you get and this is how big confidence is in archery. we all know a 50 to 60 year old man that has not one same damn arrow in their quiver some of them or freaking aluminums from the 80s, and that dude will straight stack monsters and not Oh, yeah. But he's confident. He knows he's going to do it. Yep. I, I said the same thing to, to one of my older buddies the other day. Right? I, got, I got a friend of mine. He's probably, like, you know, around his 50s. Great dude. He's a total killer. But I was like, man, I was like, I don't know why you're so worried about your errors. I said, how many deer did you kill back in the day, you know, when you were just shooting them? crappy aluminum errors he's like oh we always got pass-throughs man you know yeah and uh i was like look at you now i said now and now he's shooting a recurve uh knocking them down so that's just interesting but but dude you know the other reason i really wanted to have you on here uh was you know you're you're a diehard turkey hunter and um 
you're you're a little bit uh behind on today's podcast because you were out running around trying to kill a bird that you've been after and uh which i totally respect you know you're always welcome to be late on here if you're hunting so <laughs> but man I, I wanted to get into that like what's a what's kind of your favorite style i know you're more of a run and gun style turkey hunter aren't you yes correct uh yeah and i i try not to get stuck on one bird too long uh okay i i, I believe that if you find most people that are multi-tag turkey hunters that usually pop several tags a year you'll come to the realization most of them know when to leave a bird okay so how many birds do you got on the list this year? Do you have multiple spots? Uh, is, that, is that your key to success is just targeting different birds in different areas, just knowing where they're at? Yeah, and even rolling into deer with that, uh, man, I, I never really locked down to one specific place. Like, so years in years past when I didn't have a child and I had a lot more time on my hands, I would start in February and start looking for, you know, goblin on the roost and I would, I would drop pins. And I did this for years and years in within two hours of my house. And what that turned into was I have like, and turkeys are very funny about how they'll be in certain areas, but you can find another place with the same terrain, everything's right, but there's no birds there. So I found like these hot spots where birds are and aren't. So I can kind of okay. put myself, in the game more immediately than some guys that, you know, they've been turkey hunting for two years and they kind of hear some birds are over here. Well, I may be able to go mess up on two birds over there and drive an hour and be right back in the game. Yeah. Yeah. See, I had, I had that kind of knowledge back where I used to live at. Um, right. I don't know if you, if you know it or not. I came from Maryland um, before I lived in Kentucky and um, I had my spots picked out, you know, locally. Uh, but we, I kind of had my hands cuffed behind my back, dude. We, uh, the the one spot that was close to my house, unless I wanted to drive, you know, an hour and a half or two hours, was archery only public. So we had the birds, but you know, it's a little trickier running and gunning with a, you know, with a with a bow in hand. I mean, Absolutely, yeah. Have you taken any with your bow? I mean, I know you're you're an archery nut. I do not, and I do not ever intend. I know that's really crazy. I actually <laughs> I have no interest whatsoever. <laughs> that's wild, man. That sh that actually blows my mind. I don't I don't know why why not. Man, it's just uh, I think in my mind, turkey hunting's always been situated a certain way in my brain as far as how it's done and how it's meant to be done. And dude, there's just something about the smell of a uh, little gun gunpowder burning in the spring, spring morning. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you load your own loads or what? I do. Uh, okay. Because I got some little gun gunpowder for for my 300 blackout. Oh yeah, I use the same powder. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that's okay. interesting. I'm like over here, like, hmm, I already got the powder, you know. I mean, it's crazy how it happened, like how I started doing my own loads because I bought a Frocky Affinity, and what it turned into was like that gun actually doesn't like to cycle a three-inch shell. Uh, so I ended up having to hit a couple of people up, and I load my own two and three-quarters. Okay. So I'm shooting like a super small shell. <laughs> yeah. Whacked out gun, basically. Hey, whatever, dude. If it gets the job done. I'm sure, uh, do you know Jacob Emery? I do. Okay, so I bought his twenty gauge off of him last year, and it's been good to me. I mean, right. I feel I feel pretty confident with it, and it's super lightweight. It is a single shot, which is kind of sketchy, but I'm kind of like, I'm that kind of guy. I mean, whatever. Hey, give, just give me one shot. That's all I need. Yeah, and you know, I've done it long enough now. Like I think that there's been one or two birds in the past where you know I knew I'd made a solid shot, but it was like there was a a hole in the pattern or something just right, you know, where it, and stuff like that's going to happen, you know? Right. That's just turkey hunting. Yeah. Yeah. What is, uh, <clears throat> what's your process look like as far as getting on the bird and then deciding when and where you're going to hunt them? It, and it's, it, this is super funny because, uh, 
you'll hear a lot of times that woodsmanship kills turkeys more often than even the best calling. And I, I think that that gets warped into people thinking that that means like deer hunting style, like knowing where the turkey's going to be and this and that. And what I more so think that that actually means, or it at least means to me, is uh, you'll hear this term a lot, hiding the hen. So, you know, in, in the more traditional sense of hunting turkeys with just a call and a shotgun, uh, no decoys or anything, the only way that you can get an animal with the best eyes in the animal kingdom to commit is you have to you have to make him break a rise or you know, come over a log or there has to be an obstacle where he cannot for any means, you know, be able to go up on a ridge behind him and look and see he has to commit within that 40 yard range to get to where you are. And that to me is uh, where the woodsmanship comes in is understanding where the bird is and on a dime being able to, okay, I need to set up on this knob up here. He's got to be able to come up to me. Uh, So when a bird gobbles, a lot of times I'll immediately pull up Onyx and be like, okay, where is he at? What is his easiest path? And in that path, where can I make him do what I want him to do? And uh, there's a little bit of like trickiness in there because a lot of guys, you know, they want to sit down wherever they are when the bird gobbled or whatever, but a turkey will never come to somewhere that he's never seen hens before. So there's, there's a little more of like, you know, you need to kind of key in and figure out where has this bird been meeting up with hens or where have hens been throughout the day so that it's not super unnatural for that bird to come to me. So yeah. that, that's kind of like my process is I'm like, okay, where are the hens? Where have I seen hens? Where can I force this bird into 40 yards? Yeah. And... I totally agree with that. The The last guest we had on, um, Mike Campbell, that was a, a turkey slayer, he said your exact words. He said, you need to have, you need to try to get on his level or try to get somewhere where he can't skyline you and try to cut him off in between. Like whether it's a ridge or a hill, try to roll, figure out where he's going to come through and pop him right as he crests over a hill or something like that. Yeah, and it's a that can be especially like for public land birds because a lot of people see, you know, the birds strutting and gobbling coming in. Uh, a lot of times those birds, they'll hit like that three-quarter on a ridge and they'll just pop their head over. And when they don't right. see that hen, they're out of there. So you get yeah. like one shot. Right. They know. Yeah, man. I, and see, it's kind of cool. It's good for me because I, I'm not an expert turkey hunter and I look back at all the you know, failed opportunities I've had and I look back and I learn from them and I'm like, okay. I, and, and that's why I was telling you earlier, like this year, I'm so excited to, to run a gun style again because, you know, I just think it's more fun in general and I feel a lot more confident because I've done it. Um, and now I kind of know how I should be setting up versus how I used to set up. Right. And, and since I moved to Kentucky, I've kind of fallen trapped to hunting fields because I've got two good farms to hunt. I didn't really mess with the public just because I'm a little nervous to, you know, turkey hunt around other guys that are, you know, especially around here with guns. Um, quick way to get shot because you ain't using orange or anything. Right. But, but I mean, in all honesty, like, I kind of wanted to shoot one with a bow out of the ground blind, so right. I set up in a field. And field birds are a lot different than these hill birds do you got any tips for me um you know for or any of our listeners that are that are hunting field birds versus maybe hunting these ridges or absolutely if and this is a good tactic even for both uh some birds can be very patternable so even if you know you want to take a day and hunt let's say you have a three-day period to get this hit if you can take that first day and let him get on the ground and if he's gobbling good listen to where he's going where he's coming from and to get into that field the times he's in that field those can be major key elements for uh you know at what point is he accessing 
and you have a lot of play there, you can pop a ground blind up and a bird will walk right by it the next day. You know, right. not like a deer where you have to brush it in. They just don't right. threat. So, uh, and even like, and that's why I was saying like, even, you know, for hill birds, a lot of times, like if I know that I have an extended period to hunt and I know there's a bird, like several birds in an area, I'll pick one. I'll, I won't even try to kill him unless I think I can that first day. I'll let him come on the ground, gobble, see what, which direction he's heading, you know, where he's meeting up with hens. The next day, I'm in his path. Yeah. Why don't you break down that for us? Um, how, does, how do you pick the right bird to chase? Is it one that's by himself? Uh, is, do you think it's one of the older birds? Are you trying to target more mature turkeys, kind of like you would a deer? So to me, I try not to bring the maturity as far as like beard length and spurs or a specific bird into turkey hunting because it's it's an altogether different sport than deer in my mind for me. And, and okay. deer, I'm out to, I'm trying to harvest the most mature, challenging animal that I can. For turkeys, for me, the five minutes before the shot, that's all that matters. I don't even care how long his beard is when he's on the ground. I don't even measure. That, I, I've measured maybe four turkeys in my life. Dude, yeah. it's, it's all about when that last gobble hits and he's at like 50 and I'm like about to pass out because I'm like, where is he? Like, where's he going <laughs> to that's, that's That's it for me. So that's, uh, that's how I feel. I think that's what makes turkey hunting so much fun because it's like, unlike deer hunting where you're like, all right, well, I hear a deer, and it's like, oh, I wonder if it's a – it's probably not a big buck. It's probably like, oh, it's a buck. Is it, is it a shooter or is it not? Right. You can If you can tell the difference between a Jake gobble and a Tom gobble, if I hear a freaking Tom, I'm like, hell yeah. Like, I don't – I could care less how old that bird is. Like, I'm smoking his ass. If he's got a full fan, like, he's going down. A hundred percent. And, dude, like, <laughs> you could feed me two-year-olds all season long every day that will run into me. Do it. I don't give a damn. <laughs> <laughs> that's sweet, man. And I think that's that's part of the uh, you know the the fun and excitement of turkey hunting too. It's like, all right, if I hear one gobble, I'm going after him, you know. And it's just, and, and it's another great way to uh, to learn woodsmanship. It's a great way to scout for whitetails and um, and you know have a good time while you're doing it. Um, there's no tired like turkey hunting tired. I'll say that, and I'm sure Jordan can relate to that one. Man, there uh, days. One of my favorite places to hunt is about a three mile walk in, and uh, what it is is a huge ridge system. And each one of these ridges is probably 1,300 elevation, and there's five ridges back there. And I've spent a 14 mile day hopping from one to the other when a bird would give me one gobble here and then at the whole other side another gobble. And at the end of the day, you're like, dude, you ain't even killed a bird. You're like, God, this sucks. Yep. <laughs> Ready to get up in the morning. <laughs> oh, man. Man, I wanted to, uh, to kind of touch on for, for those of our listeners that were, that were, uh, got to see the, the story from last Sunday. Uh, I had a pretty funny experience and I was out at the, uh, the Illinois deer classic. So I got a wild hair up my ass. Right. And I'm like sitting at the hotel room and I'm like, guys, I think I'm going to wake up early tomorrow instead of going out drinking. And I'm going to go, uh, not that that's all that the, the guys do, but <laughs> just saying it was a Saturday night and I'm like, nah, I'm going to go back and crash. I'm going to go shed hunt in the morning. You know, the show didn't start till 10 and, uh, I'm thinking this, you know, whatever. I'm in Peoria, Illinois. I'm already driving when we're on the highway scouting because in Maryland, I did a ton of suburban hunting, right? So I'm pretty good at picking apart woodlots where, you know, good deer hang out. Well, I get on my 1X. I find a couple good spots. And this one spot's about 10 minutes from the uh, the hotel we're at. So I'm like, all right, sweet. Well, I headed out there in the morning. Dude, I was super uh surprised how many big rolling ridges there were right and I, i'm sure you're like depending on where you've been in illinois but you know peoria was one of them like steep not crazy tall you know hills but like very terrain feature kind of place right and there's this big south side ridge that runs kind of parallel to the highway 
So I'm like thinking in my mind, like that's where the sheds are at. So I'm making my way through. It's, it's like just sunrise is coming up. Right. So, you know, you know what happens at sunrise, turkeys start gobbling. Well, I'm probably like a quarter mile into my walk and I hear not one, but like two or three birds hammer and they're all like, I'm like, Oh hell yeah. Cool. Well, I had my camera with me. Like I just, you know, in in the past couple of months, I got a nice, you know, DSLR. So I was thinking, you know, I watched these birds. I just hung back in this like laurel thicket. I watched them all work their way up a ridge. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to work my way around the backside of the ridge, come up on top and maybe I'll get a couple pictures of these birds strutting, you know? So I come up the backside and I'm like, Jordan, I'm just being quiet and I'm listening and I can hear a bird drumming. And I'm like, all right. So I just put my backpack down, grab my camera out. I'm ready, right? Like, I'm like, as soon as I pop over this ridge, they're going to be there. Dude, they were like 15 yards from me. I mean, they were all like 15 to 20 turkeys. And they all skirted out, but then the toms hung out. And they went probably like 30 yards away. Well, they're strutting and they're spitting and drumming, gobbling. And I'm just eating it up, man. I'm just snapping pictures. And uh, I'm a total amateur with my freaking camera, so I didn't get the best of pictures, which I totally was like, this is why you practice with the camera, because you dumbass. So I'm trying to, trying to like, in the heat of the moment, you know, these two giant times, and I finally start getting some good pictures. Well, dude, I kind of, like, realized, I'm like, shit, they're, like, just straight strutting and working their way to me, like sideways, you know, like coming in to fight, and... By the time I realized, like, they're, they're like, five feet away, and I gobbled at them. They gobbled at me. And I'm like, this is freaking badass. And then it's like, oh, shit. They're coming at me. Dude, they start flogging me, like, flying up, trying to spur me. I start kicking them. <laughs> they wouldn't freaking leave me, dude. The second I turned to go away, like, they were, like, on me, like, flies on shit. And, uh... I mean, I'm like, at first it was funny. And then I'm like, oh shit. Like I'm like, I'm pretty far back in here. I got nowhere to go. There's mountain laurel all around me. And, uh, I'm like, I need to freaking defend myself here. Like what, you know, what am I going to, am I going to kill one of these birds? You know, I ain't got a license. What the hell am I supposed to do? And, uh, I grabbed a stick, started smacking them with the stick. Nothing, dude. They didn't give a shit. Like they were badasses. (laughs) <laughs> so I finally figured out and, and like I'm at this point I'm like what the hell do I do so I ran it ran at them and then they started like retreating a little bit but then they come right back at me so I ran after them again and then they came right back at me I was like all right so I kind of like I figured I'm like all right if I like run maybe hard enough so dude I dead sprint like a hundred yards chasing these turkeys I'm out of breath like you know it like the adrenaline's kicking because i'm like you know it, it was just freaking hilarious you're and, like, uh, you're thinking i'm not gonna be the guy on news that got hospitalized by two right right <laughs> right like oh justin where are you at at the show oh i'm getting stitches i got spurred by a freaking giant time this morning <laughs> you know dude i i'm not I, kidding you and both both these birds were probably like 25 pounds i mean no joke they were big times I hope that somebody has a trail cam up on that ridge and got this whole thing on video. Oh my God. <laughs> and the whole time, the whole time, Logan, I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, like me and Luke were supposed to go out and go shed hunting that morning. And Luke's like, man, I think I'm just going to stay in bed. Like I'm going to, I'm going to get some sleep. And I'm like, all right, whatever, man. Like I'm going so well. Good luck, good luck. And then the second I sent him that video, he was like, God damn it, I knew I should have came. Like, oh, I didn't even go back to sleep. And I'm like, oh, I wish I would have had you there because it would have been freaking great to have a second angle where at least we both could have been beating the hell out of turkeys. I don't know. At least one of you could have been filming. (laughs) Yeah, right, and no sheds were found. Uh, (laughs) Pretty sure uh, I found some other boot tracks on the backside of a creek, so I'm pretty sure... I wasn't the only shed hunter in those in those woods, but definitely a, a day I'll never forget uh, for the rest of my life. Um, you know, I can only hope that opening day will be so productive, and um, 
they'll try that shit because they're gonna they're gonna find out this time. <laughs> oh god. Yeah. You'll have to take, take we've got what, two weeks? Yeah. Is that till we open well, up? Really, I think less than that next Saturday. Yeah. Right? A little yeah. less than a week and a half, yeah. I'm ready. They're hammering down here in the woods behind the house. I'm ready to get after them. It's it's one of those things, uh, and you'll notice with a lot of your like big turkey guys how much of a a ritual spring is to them. And uh, I don't know if it's like you know the rebirth of the woods or whatever, but that chasing that gobble man, it'll it's just something about it that's just so different from deer. It's it's a totally different speed, and it, I've seen guys lose jobs over it. I'm yep. I believe it, dude. You know, it's it's a wild thing. Yeah. Now I love it, man. I've I've grown to really look forward to spring even more. Like every year, it seems to get worse and worse, and I feel like the addiction's uh, growing for turkeys too. And you know, you might laugh at this. So me and Cody and I think uh, a, a few other guys that were like at one of the road shows, right? we're all hanging out at the fire and I told him a story about my turkey. Like I shot my first turkey with a bow and it was a stud. Right. Like inch and inch and a half spurs, like ended up being a Maryland state record for archery turkey, which I had, I like, not that it means anything to me. Like I'm, you know, I'm happy. I got a turkey. It was my first one. I got lucky. And, uh, I was like, I honestly feel like it was one of the coolest things I ever did with my bow. And Cody and all them, they were like, Dude, I'm I'm kind of thinking a little less of you right now, like you know. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Y'all can kiss my ass, all right? Like nobody taught me, no one taught me how to turkey hunt. My old man never turkey hunted. It, I was all self-taught, and I know you were the same way, right, Jordan? Yeah, and you know, and that's that's one thing that I do want to touch on. Uh, you know, my parents died when I was 15 years old. Both of them a week apart, and. Uh, I was very underprivileged. We never even had a car. I grew up in roaches, having to fight all the time, old clothes. And uh, I think it's very important for people to understand, like, there are guys out there that they want to hunt or they want to learn how to work on their own bow or they want to. If you want to bad enough, if you ask somebody, you know, you'll find a way. I've, I've yeah. always managed to find a way and figure it out and, just, just keep pushing, man, and uh, you never know what can happen. Absolutely, man. That's hard awesome. to hear that about your parents too. Oh, it's all good, man. It happens. Yeah, no, but not, that's a super. You know, honestly, with our podcast, man, we really try to dive into to the mindset, and um, you know, we're all about just trying to educate people and grow knowledge. That's really what we're here for. Um, I can't thank you enough for joining us this evening, man. Uh, you were an awesome guest to have on. I can't wait to have you back on for uh, some some deer stuff too, because you're a heck of a deer hunter, also. I'm a heck of a deer hitter and not finder this year. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> oh god! I don't know if that one would be uh, good for business or. <laughs> it was a rough year, and uh, it was it was all like. I would just get in these situations where I rush myself is what it was. And I'm the same way with turkeys. I'm like, I think I can go ahead and shoot them. And with archery, you cannot do that. Everything needs to line up the right way. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, and if, if you have to pass them, you just have to pass them because you're not going to like the result if you don't. Right. Yeah. So it, it yeah. comes down to, to the guy behind the bow and not the equipment. Uh, by majority. Yes. Yeah, but having all your equipment straight is is also very important, in my opinion. Yep. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that that's what I'm saying. With, yeah. Oh, my bad. I didn't. I didn't <laughs> no. That. no. Yeah. No. I meant that it was the guy behind the bow that messed it up. It wasn't the equipment that. Uh, yeah. You know, the equipment did, was going to do its job no matter what. Absolutely right. No, nah, man. Uh, I can't wait to have you back on. Uh, I'm looking forward to catching you at the uh, Mobile Hunter Roadshow in June. I think it's what June 10th. Yes, sir. I'm excited. In Nashville. Hell yeah! You'll be a guest speaker, right? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Right on, man. Well, hey guys, if you're listening still, come out and see us. 
Um, thanks again, Jordan. Um, where can everybody follow you at, man? So my arrows page on Instagram is arrows underscore anonymous and my personal pages at Kalen J Pope. Gotcha. Y'all check them out, get some arrows. Uh, it's perfect time for you to get your orders in so you can get your stuff by season 3d Logan. Did you have anything else to close out on man? No, I think that was awesome. I appreciate you, uh, coming on and, like Justin said, I, I can't wait to talk deer hunting with you. Oh, yeah, I'm ready. I'm a turkey guy, but uh, <laughs> the older I get, the more a mature whitetail, you know, it's, just, it's, a, it's a special thing. Absolutely, man. Love of the outdoors is real. That's, that's for sure. Well, we appreciate you guys tuning in for this episode, and we look forward to catching up with you all next week. Appreciate you. Thanks again for joining us this week, guys. Really appreciate you all. I want to give a huge thanks to everybody that stopped by at the Illinois Deer Classic to uh, just say hey and, and just BS with us a little bit. Um, appreciate all you guys that stopped by and got some got some swag from me. Um, can't thank you all enough. I want to give a huge thanks to our sponsor, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. Um, the show circuit is, is pretty much over, but the Mobile Hunter Roadshow is just getting ready to kick off. So... If you guys haven't, get online, uh, get signed up before uh, you can't get a ticket. Um, Look forward to catching you all at the first stop. It's going to be in Nashville on June 10th. I'm going to close today's segment out with a quote from Maya Angelou. I really like this quote. Um, You know, for those of you out there, it's try to stand out, man. Uh, You know, I've always always tried to push people to to just do their own thing and you know not worry about what others think and i think this quote's uh, really suiting to that she says if you're always trying to be normal you will never ha- know how amazing you can be absolutely uh i think it's a super suiting uh quote for for what i'm trying to get across and i hope you guys enjoy it i hope you guys are enjoying the, the podcast recently um Hang with us. We got some great guests coming on in the future and uh, look forward to catching up with you all next week.